Welcome to Bite Size Jazz, a short music podcast where we interview up-and-coming jazz musicians, world-renowned jazz musicians, and everyone in between. They give us the inside scoop on their latest albums, and we'll play short clips of their music so you can get a taste of their sound. Learn more at bitesizejazz.com or by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening. Today's guest on the podcast is the pianist, composer, and educator Mark Carey. Mark grew up playing in Washington, D.C. go-go bands, toured extensively with Abby Lincoln, played with Betty Carter, collaborated often with trumpeter Roy Hargrove, and he currently teaches at the Manhattan School of Music. He's released a dozen albums as a band leader, with a brand new one that was out just this last September. That one actually marks number 13. He'll tell us more about it, so let's welcome him to the show. Hello, this is Mark Carey. Uh, I just released an album called Life Lessons. I think you're gonna hear a few tracks from that. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark. I'm really excited to talk to you about your music. Now let's just start with the album title, Life Lessons. Where did that come from? It's just what it is. It's like, you know, uh, well, the the pandemic kind of made the, the, the actual choice of the record. I had that as a possible choice, um, but when I, lined, when I did the recording and, and we put together the album out of the the 20, 20 songs that we did that made the most sense together, everything just kind of unfolded. I mean, because the titles of each each song, and, and I recorded these songs because they were purposefully kind of like mantras for me. Each one of these songs are like either a part of the lyric or even, even the title of the track is something that I continuously um, uh, encounter you know, like the thoughts or whatever goes along with the, you know, this, the thought or the title of the song. So it's really about about the content of the song as much as the titles being um, the, the kind of the, the topic, you know, to discuss a lesson in that topic, you know. So each one of these are kind of like topics and it goes deep the deeper you get into the topic, you know, so, and of course, each, most of these songs have lyric, a lyric content that describes, you know, the, the, what I'm trying to say, you know, we don't have lyrics on any of these songs, but, um, it's instrumental record. <laughs> yeah. So when you're writing songs, do you have lyrics in the back of your mind then while you're playing it? Oh yeah. In fact, most of the time, most of my phrasing when I'm soloing are, are, are lyric base there there's a phrase or you know or it's a themes you know like I, I study a lot of different indigenous music so if you listen to indian classical music especially with the vocal vocalized versions of those performances they're normally singing uh a mantra or a phrase you know and then it's improvised upon you know and so like a phrase for me for an example, I'm reminiscing over you. That's seven syllables, you know? And like that can be dealt with anyway. You know, so I like to extract the rhythm of, of words for my improvisation. So, yeah, I do think of lyrics. That's an interesting way to think of it, especially if you're imagining like how a singer improvises and they're usually using syllables or lyrics and improvising with that and so it can kind of lead you to a more melodic way of improvising well yeah i mean so i got so many different ways to approach music because of course if you're going to be the musician i'm sorry singers use 
it's all about the air. See, I, I, I'm into Trump. I'm into horn players because they use air. So I don't like really playing like a piano player because you can type your way through a whole, you know, song. But I practice that because you, you need to, you know, as a musician, you want to have your timing tight, your eighth notes, you know, you got to understand meter and, 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 and rhythm and, and division and, you know, rhythm. <laughs> so, but when you're talking, it's rhythmic, but it's not in a meter necessarily. I like that. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned was this influence of North Indian classical music. Where oh, does yeah. that influence come from? My fascination with it came from really listening to the great jazz musicians and understanding that each great musician that contributed to this music actually brought something to it. Um, it, they 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 weren't good because they could play everything that was already there. That's not really a. That's never been my fascination with the music, like to cover every song or every style. It's really about having an understanding of the periods and and the you know the things that really impacted those periods. And then the bigger picture is like, how did that person contribute? You know, to the music. What is their contribution? You know, is it about their choices and things like that? So like people like Dizzy Gillespie were in my life, my early life, you know, as a musician. And Dizzy, you know, brought the Afro-Cuban uh, musicians here and created that sound, which is now built into the music. It's like, you know, you, you know, if you study music in, in schools, you got to know all the forms, you know, and Afro-Cuban music is is uh latin music afro-cuban is is the is a genre because someone took a chance and said i like that sound with this sound so they went and studied that music they went and and studied the musicians and studied what made that music what it is and the differences and how to put them together so if you listen to coltrane or alice coltrane or pharaoh sanders or miles davis or dizzy gillespie or anyone that plays anything modal, uh, then you understand that they are inspired by other music to get that sound. It doesn't just appear, you know? So cats have been traveling, Indian musicians have been coming here uh, since, you know, the early, you know, 1900s. And uh, that, that curiosity of jazz musicians brought those musicians to that. So naturally, me uh, having a fascination with their lives and, and how they did it uh, brought me to that same conclusion. Plus, I, my, I was exposed to so much music growing up that I didn't even know I, I knew about it. I just heard it all, all my life, you know, in di different forms of indigenous music. Because my mom and dad were very involved in, in just indigenous things, everything indigenous. <laughs> I'm Native American too, so I'm Wampanoag. So that that you know, kind of puts me in there. Oh, cool. So where did you grow up then? Well, I've I've had the the best of a lot of cities. So born in New York, uh, my parents are from Providence, Rhode Island. So we went back to Providence after uh, a year after I was born in New York. Lived there for a time and um, moved to Washington D.C. Uh, by the age of seven. So uh, DC was my all the formative years. 
was in D.C. up until the age of 21. And then I moved to New York at 21, and I've been there ever since last year when I moved to Baltimore. <laughs> so, oh, cool. yeah, yeah, that's kind of been. But those formative years in those in those cities were impactful on me, you know, just mm-hmm. to, for one to be around my family and uh, experience ritual and, and things that, you know, um, my mother brought into her new family. Uh, but those things were very important, you know, the rituals of, of our Native American uh, Indian nation, uh, the Wampanoag Indian nation, which is we're, we're from uh, Massachusetts. Uh, from Chappaquiddick Island, that's our land. We don't inhabit it right now, but we're in, in um, constantly in court trying to get our stuff back. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, did your mom bring a lot of that Native American culture into your family? Then, were you guys particularly? You said you mentioned rituals. Were you guys particularly like spiritual in that aspect? Oh, well, we, I, I did all the sweat lodges and, and the ceremonies, the green corn festivals. And, uh, being Growing up in D.C., we were heavily involved with the Piscataway Indian Nation. Uh, Billy Tyak, Chief Billy Tyak, who just died yesterday, in fact, uh, he was, I was around him since I was a baby. And he was, he was involved in the, you know, American Indian movement and all of the, the, uh, protests and demonstrations on on the monument that have been you know been done for the last 30 40 years um, he's been involved with that and my mother has too as well as me as you know by proxy <laughs> so um, these these issues and these things um, brought me closer to you know the way of life and we are an established tribe which is not federal federally recognized we we have a government, we have a constitution. Um, we are fighting right now um, for our land, um, like I said, and we're fighting with you know, some of the uh, energy companies who are building this big energy farm up on- oh, That's uh, a big battle. Off the Cape, right. We, and, and so we've been ex- somewhat excluded uh, because we're not federally recognized, but we have land rights. You know, so they, it's a struggle right now, but we're like days away from either missing a deadline or being a part of this whole revolution that's happening up there. Oh, but wow. they exclude us, you know, if they could, they'd exclude us. And so do you feel like this Native American influence has filtered its way into your music that you compose 100%. and create? 100%. Because it made me realize that everything all the beauty comes out of the indigenous music. Western music is not programmed like that. Western music, in fact, took the beauty out, took some of the soul out to create what it created. It's beautiful music. It's still beautiful, but uh, it took a lot of the, it took the improvisation out, which is the soul of the music, and it was there before. So all the things that were beautiful about it, you know, live as a living music are gone and it, you just have the exhibition of it and the museum pieces that everyone plays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Everyone's going to play these inventions better than someone else that played them. It's like, nah, y'all got to <laughs> improvise on them. You got to improvise. <laughs> you know, you got to learn the chords and evolve it just like, you know, Bach did and Chopin and Mozart and the rest of these cats, you know. So I, I think that's what where jazz is in, in, 
it's really about the evolution of the music. So I, I think the indigenous side of, I, I study all indigenous music, everything I get my hands on. It's not just Native American, it's, it's the African, it's the Indian, it's the Native American, you know, so it's the, it's the American songbook, you know, I like it all and I'm influenced by it all. So it's all in there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like nobody ever talks about those indigenous styles of music anymore. Well, whenever you start talking about pentatonic scales and, and that sound, you talk about the church, that's indigenous sound. That's from an, it might be popular now, but that's from an indigenous source, you know, especially the black church. You know, that music is comes from the field hollers and the blues. And preceding that, it came over on, on you know, with, with the freedmen as well as the slave ships, you know, through ports like Essaouira, Morocco, you know, which when they left that coast, they went to uh, Cape Verde and from Cape Verde, they, they were shipped all along, you know, the East Coast, you know, of the Americas, you know, and so that music, the blues traveled with us here, you know, the whole concept. And that comes from the Ganawans. So in order to really study this music, you got to trace you got to go back. You know, you can't just study what happened in America because obviously America is not going to tell you the story. <laughs> you know, you got to go deeper. Yeah. And you want to know, you just got to go deeper. And that's that's no slight on on the people that wrote the books because that's, their, that's the way they wanted to tell the story. It's unfortunate. But if you do want to get anywhere past go, you got you to gotta study yourself. You got to study is, is a life desire for me, you know. And implementing what I study, not just gathering information. I like to implement it, you know, so. Yeah, Yeah, well, that's the most important part. Yeah. Um, And going back to some of your compositions that are on this album, I love to talk about um, It's Not a Good Day to Die and where that one came from. Well, It's Not a Good Day to Die has kind of like been a a mantra for me. I mean, when I I left D.C. at the age of 21 because I didn't think I was going to live any longer there. Um, in the 80s was really rough there. So growing up as a young black man, uh, you know, you're, you, yeah, you were running a big risk, okay? So I said I'd take my chances in a bigger city. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a lot of folks passed in front of me, you know, and uh, I never thought it was their it was their time. So eventually this song revealed itself uh, on Roads Ahead, Volume One, as Transient Treasure. And then I started putting lyrics to it when I met another vocalist uh, by the name of Gina Breedlove. And this was around the time I was working with uh, Sekou Sundiata. And we performed this right after nine, or the first anniversary of 9-11 for the firefighters that, that perished and the ones that were survived. The song is named after the lyric, you know, the first, the the chorus is, it's not a good day to die. And it's, you repeat that, it's, that's, it's not a good day to die. Like, I I say that when I'm walking, it's, it's just not, for all the reasons that you can, you know, I mean, I'm not just talking about getting shot with a bullet straight bullet or somebody, you know, aiming at you. I'm talking about the bullets coming out of people's noses and mouths and, you know, the ones, mainly people's mouths, the words, 
you know, those, those, those things are deadly. So my whole thing is about being the best Mark Carey I can be. And, and I say best is in the most positive, you know, I'm not the best negative Mark, <laughs> but the best positive Mark is you could go in and polarity is just direction, you know, you could take that same energy and go in any direction. And I just really choose to go in the direction that propels me and not to kind of like puts me into. So that generally involves doing stuff for other people. You know, you can't be selfish and think that you're going to make it here. So everything I do is really these mantras are for people. You know, I sing them because they they are meaningful to me, but I, I, I put them out there because I believe other people feel the same way. It's, it's not a good day. I mean, it's <laughs> definitely not a good day to die. That's it. No, not but, today, not tomorrow. <laughs> too um you have trust by roy hargrove who you also collaborated with yeah in the past and so i'd love to talk about what it was like working with roy hargrove and you know how you made this arrangement unique how was it working with roy i would start by saying it was great being friends with roy and working was a product of our friendship you know um but and, and, and we were friends a lot longer than we necessarily worked together in any kind of organized situation. So um, it was great to play music with Roy. I can't say that <clears throat> I knew the business well enough when I first started to appreciate uh, some of the things that we withstood, you know. Um, now I would say, eh, but in retrospect, it's, it's funny you asked me that question in retrospect because I've learned so much since then, right? But I had a ball playing with Roy. So that would be the first answer, right? The first part of the answer. Second part is there's a lot of things I learned from that experience that I later uh, took with me, the positive, and also maybe you can learn what to do and what not to do from people, you see? And mainly, I'm just talking about business because musically, Roy is a genius beyond words. Um, the organization that I worked for when I played with Roy's band um, wasn't necessarily looking out for us. It was, we worked everywhere, which was a benefit to being a part of the organization at the time. But um, we could have benefited far more from it for the amount of work that we did. You know, we were one of the most working bands at the time. Um, Roy's career is just incredible, what he was able to accomplish. I just feel like he could have done so much more had his health been looked after and if people cared more about him and not what he produced. You know what I mean? So that's retrospect. But th the question was about how was it to work with Roy? And it was, it was beautiful. Like my career wouldn't be where it is, I don't think, without that, that element. You know, because we were able to create a sound, inspire all a whole bunch of youngsters that came up under us. And we were inspired and taught a lot by the elders who 
who were wondering why we were getting so many good opportunities at the time. <laughs> like, well, since y'all gonna be getting all these opportunities, then you need to know how to play that shit. So they would be <laughs> like, they would let us slide, you know. Mm. You know, they'd be on the side of the stage, like, yeah, that sounds all right, you know. It, but they were encouraging. It wasn't like they were hating on us. But I, I, I do feel like it was their time, and we were getting the opportunity of their time. You mm. know, what I mean? so there's a lot to that period. Yeah, so why did you decide to include Trust on the album? Trust is an incredible composition, first of all. Um, he wrote it a uh, long time ago. I, I remember that that composition in its early beginnings. So um, um, the, the lyric is just really a powerful lyric. And it's a prayer, you know, it's Roy's prayer. Um, so... The lyric really kind of encouraged me to uh, play the song. Also, every time I get a chance, I try to include something of Roy, whether it's an arrangement we did or a song we used to sing. Because we, you know, we learned a lot of songs together, and we used to sing all the standards, sing all the lyrics. We were fascinated by the lyrics, you know. And I know all the songs he knows, you know. He knows a lot more than me. He's just got photographed. I don't remember half the songs he knows. <laughs> I've forgotten quite a bit of them because I don't have that kind of memory. My stuff is reactivated. You know, um, he has like the kind of brain that just photographic and total recall, you know. That'd be so nice to have. I guess. I <laughs> 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 we're blessed with what we have. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> That's true. Because maybe if you had that, maybe you wouldn't have beautiful eyes or something. Or you know what I mean? Maybe Who you might knows? Be shorter. Or shorter. <laughs> One limb might be shorter than the other. Or something. Who knows? You know. <laughs> I'll just take what I can get. Yeah, you might have cleft lip or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know what? I just won't complain anymore. <laughs> there you go. You don't complain. As a jazz musician that practices a lot, and, and like you'll hear me on 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 the internet, you know, like that's why I, I I do I do the behind the scenes stuff. I, I flipped it, like I turned my clothes inside out or something. But I, I'm not worried about people seeing me shiny, you know, all the time. I shine when I put my records out, when I put when I put something official out. That's the shine. But most people don't get to see the work. You know, everyone wonders why did you do it? What do you do? Man, I do it all the time. That's what I do. It's you live this. It's the life that you live. You choose this and you live it the best way you can. You know, not always will you be able to dedicate, you know, you know, three quarters of your day to music. Like, and so I take advantages of those times. And I've always done that. Like every period that I had a time to do it, I'm blessed to say and thankful that I didn't do something else to do music. You know, and there's a lot of fun things I would have loved to do. And I do think music is fun, but it's work. You know, like really trying to get, be, you know, syncopated and understand syncopation, which is one of the most fundamental parts of the music that we play called jazz. It's the most fascinating part. It's the part that's most dumbed down because of its capacity to be so complex. 
and you know people just like easy things so like there there's patterns and things that we use now to make it real like easy breezy you know we're always trying to make it make people comfortable but this music is very uncomfortable it's an uncomfortable music if you really get deep and that uncomfortability is the beauty of it you know it's the unsettledness it's the settling for a second and then oh shoot you feel this moving oh it's morphing into this now you know and there's a subtle ways to approach it there's so many ways so i, I i'm saying that to say that we can get sidetracked with the with the kind of mass and all of that and that's a way of playing too there's people that are great at it and just but i don't resonate with that i resonate with the feeling like you know you know screams and hollers and things that come from the gut you know those things really move me they don't have to be loud they just have to be real Abby Lincoln, and you included a couple of her songs on there. Always, yeah. Yeah, but, and you played with her for a long time, like over 10 years, wasn't it? 13, yeah. 13. But you know, like the 13 in, in, in as a whole, like from this period to that period, I played with it, but then she fired me a few times, too. So, like, you know, some periods in there where, where you didn't see Mark. But then she she was very particular about the sound that she wanted. So even though she fired me, that's the sound she wanted, you know, and, and, and she only fired, listen, she, it wasn't like I was a hard to work with. She was difficult. I do believe that maybe I lost that sense of center uh, and got a little upset sometimes at, and reacted to things that normally you should just take on the chin from her, in particular from her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would take it from many people, well, you know, other people, but she's a very particular kind of person. So once you understand who you're dealing with, then you deal with them accordingly, you know, or don't deal with them. So, you know, it's, it's a couple of times where things should have went one way and they didn't. And when she reacted, I reacted like, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm standing up for myself. And and that that was important because really she was training me to become strong and strong meaning i'm not gonna take some shit just because i'm getting paid you know what i mean like if yeah. it's something that you need to say say it you might there's a consequence there's a there's a reaction for everything the reaction for me not speaking up on my own behalf at that moment meant that i was i sucked it in it's not necessarily going to help her you know, deal with people better, or it's not going to help me feel better about myself. So one thing she was trying to teach me is like, listen, the one of one of the main lessons, and this is why I use her music, you know, this is the big answer to, to, to why I use her music is that everything is a lesson with her. One time she told me, she said, Mark, you know, you can't make every gig, you can't be, you can't be available for every gig. I was like, wow, that's a hell of a relief. You know, because I got my own stuff I'm trying to do, you know. There are times where I've had to just put my stuff on hold because you got a gig all of a sudden. And she was like, yeah, you need to let me know when you can't make stuff. And the first time I couldn't make something, she was like, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was fired for a whole year. I was like, oh, wow. 
But the lesson was what what she said to me when she said, you know, you can't make every you, you shouldn't be available for every gig because your your money doesn't go up like that. Like if you're always there, that's gonna pay you the same money. If you're if you're that important, if you're a, a a needed part of the band and you're not just like a hack, like somebody that they can just keep just to do put, you know, check a box, it, it you'll it, you'll be missed, in other words. So that's what she was saying. So, let me miss you. Let me get a chance to miss you. Let me try something else. And so I know how much I love you, basically. You know, um, and that was a lesson that it was hard to learn. It, it, man, I was so mad for so long. But then I was like, wait a minute. This made me go do my record. This made me go hustle and, 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 and record the, tree, the, uh, the, the quintet, get Roy on the date. And find a record label. You know, I did everything. I did the record cover. I, you know, I did everything. Style the thing. And I did everything for that first record. You know, um, and that was that was the motivation. Getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> but it made me it made me autonomous. You know, mm -hmm. it, made, it made me viable, and it gave me the ability to build an archive that I can live off of. You know. So yeah, yeah, that's good. Being comfortable, you're not going to do stuff like that. So, and you did two of her songs. You did "And It's Supposed to Be Love" and "Learning How to Listen." So why those two songs in particular? Well, "And It's Supposed to Be Love" is is about domestic abuse, okay? Um, and so I know about that, not because I'm an abusive person, but you know, I've I've been around it. I know people that have suffered through it family you know um i've had experiences as a youngster you know working my way through through that kind of environment at, at, at a point so that song when i heard that i resonated with me i was like man how could you put a song with a lyric with a melody so beautiful and lyrics that potent i mean those lyrics have you heard the lyrics to that song mm -hmm, yeah yeah oh. Oh man, body slam your partner down, messaging a chill. I mean, come on, it's such a soothing melody and the lyric is cringing. How do you put those two together? That's like putting ice cream and and hot pepper. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the chorus too. The chorus even like sounds kind of happy if you're not really paying attention yeah, to the lyrics. But it's funny because it's a minor chord. You know, it's a minor. How you get a minor chord to sound that happy? It's just she had the ability to embed a feeling. You know, and not everyone has that. And 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 if you're a musician trying to be a musician, you will never get it. You get that from trying to be musical. She, she was like, no matter how good you get, if you don't listen, it's, then it's nothing. Because listening is 99% of what we do. 
the other one percent uh all the other stuff is packed into that one percent that's left okay and that's the practice the discipline and all that that's the one percent of of what music is the music the rest of it is listening and responding to listening you know like having something to say and that's musical reflexes that you build you know by practice and all of that you know response is comes from having done it you know like going left you know how to fake how to throw something in you know how to see something without looking at it that's from memory that's from doing so that's what learning how to listen is it's like really seriously listening you know in every way in life listening to an interview with pianist Mark Carey about his album Life Lessons. If you like what you heard, you can find the full album anywhere you stream music. We have a link included in this episode's description, along with a link to Mark Carey's website so you can learn more about him and his music. And if you're enjoying the podcast, you can sign up for our brand new newsletter. You can be the first to know about new interviews by having new episodes sent directly to your inbox with exclusive sneak peeks about upcoming episodes. Head to bitesizejazz.com to learn more. We also have a link in this episode's description. And we'd love for you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to stay up to date. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Jazz. <laughs>